As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Hi, I'm Al Guerra. And together with my wife, Monica, we are the pastors at High Point Español. One thing that we love about High Point is that we here have a heart to reach out to all ethnic groups. And one thing that we are doing right now together with all High Point family is speaking about life verses. Those verses that have been, uh, been meaningful to our lives. One life verse that has been very special my wife as well, it's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. The Bible says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. As I enter the stage and the season of life where I'm, I am now a senior citizen, I think back in my life and I think all the, the vision and the, the, the dreams that I had when I came in into ministry. And getting to this part of my life, one begins to wonder whether we reach the goal that we wanted to. And one thing that's given me peace at this season of my life from Jeremiah is that it is not my plans that make a difference. It is God's plan for my life that gives me hope. So Jeremiah 29 verse 11 is being meaningful to me. What is your life verse? Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 will be what we focus on today. But if you have a Bible, I'd actually like you to take it out because I'm going to look a little background in Jeremiah. So uh, my name is Ed Stetzer, teaching pastor here at High Point. And uh, Jeremiah 29 is, well, a very important passage, but the whole book is, tells a story that we need a little background on before we can just kind of look at the verse 11. We want to get a picture of what's going on in Jeremiah chapter 29 to help us understand verse 11 more fully, more deeply, and we'll do that today. So if you have a Bible, get, take it out to Jeremiah 29 uh, and, or turn it on to Jeremiah 29, whatever you want to do, and follow along with me because it's not going to be on the screen at the beginning of my message. So I'm, I'm here in Jeremiah 29. Uh, we're in this, the title, the title of today's message is The Hope of a Blessed Future. That's what we're going to talk about today. But Jeremiah 29 verse 11 starts with, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, that's the guy's the book's named after, uh, sent from Jerusalem, that's the location where he sent it, to the surviving elders of the exiles. Now, some key words there, right? Jerusalem, that's going to matter later. Surviving elders of the exile. So not everyone survived this exile. This was not a a good positive experience to be exiled. Surviving elders of the exiles to the priests, to the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, it says in verse one, had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, so now you got a little more context. There's a guy named uh, Nebuchadnezzar who uh, leads this empire. Uh, this empire has invaded uh, Judah, which is the southern kingdom, and has taken into exile God's people. Now, not all of them, because we actually know Jeremiah is still there, but you need to understand a little context. So verse 11, which we're going to get to in a minute, which sounds really great, is in the context of something that's not so great. It's great, but you've got to get the context that you get there. So then it gives some details. I won't go through all the details, 
But it says this in verse uh, four, the letter says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. So it's changed to first person and it's God who has sent them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The difference between verse four and verse one is very evident. God's saying, I sent you into exile. So then he says in verse five, this is God's words, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. So they're now, they're in this exile. They don't want to be there. Um, They're thinking they're going to get back soon, but we find out later they're not. So God's telling them, you got to settle in and do do the good for others. It actually says, uh, take wives and have sons and daughters. So basically have married, get, get, get married, have kids. Verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So he's talking about Babylon. So they're supposed to actually like work for the welfare and pray for the welfare of Babylon. Verse eight and nine sort of talks about some, some false prophets who are telling them that they're going to go back early. They're not. Verse 10 says, uh, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. So God actually says, it's going to be seven decades. You're going to be in exile. Then I'm going to come rescue you. And then we get to verse 11. The context matters. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Because here's the thing, if you misunderstand life verses and take them out of context, they become confusing and unhelpful. So I was uh, working out at a gym uh, once, uh, one of the four or five times I've worked at a gym in the course of my life. It was in Nashville, we used to live in Nashville. So we went to this gym and it was Christian owned and they had uh, Bible verses at all all kinds of different places, right? Which were great, I love Bible verses. And so I was uh, lifting some weights and in front of me, the mirror was the verse, the life verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which I can tell you was not true in that circumstance because that verse was wrongly applied to that circumstance. It's not a verse about how much weight you can lift at a gym. It's actually a verse from context about being content with your financial situation, actually. So, so what is this verse then about? Well, it's in the midst of a really difficult time, but having a hope for a blessed future. It says after this, uh, in verse 14, uh, again, if you have your Bible open, you can see it with me. It says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore you, gather you, declares the Lord. I'll bring you back to the place from where I sent you to exile. So verse 14 says, I'm going to bring you back from Babylon to Jerusalem, which is what they wanted. Now, the reason I think it's important for us to start here is we're living in a world that's kind of on fire in a lot of ways, right? So maybe your healthcare worker is exhausted after the last two years. Maybe, maybe you walk through some of the struggles financially that, that have been evident all around us. Um, maybe you're part of our, our Russian and Ukrainian families here in our congregation. We have a disproportionate number, as you know. And maybe you've got family who have been impacted by the war in, in Donetsk or wherever it may be. So, so this is a verse for hard times with a beautiful promise. This is a verse for hard times that contain a really beautiful promise. So Jeremiah 29 features a letter from Jerusalem to those Jews who were exiled in Babylon, verse one. Uh, God sent his people, God's God sent his people into exile because of their ongoing um, idolatry and rebellion. So this was God's way of dealing with their sin. But he didn't just leave them there because our God is a God of grace. 
and he does not leave them without hope. He encourages them to look to God for hope, for their future, rather than their circumstances, which he tells them are going to last decades. He calls them to place their hope in God, not the false prophets who are telling them they're going to be there just for a little while. The false prophets are telling them, like, it's going to be a mission trip. You're going to go there and come back, but it's not. It's going to be decades long. And ultimately, they'd be returning home to to Jerusalem, but they had to hope in God in the midst of those very difficult times. So so Jeremiah's letter calls the exiles to settle into their new lands, to build houses, seek the welfare of the city there, told them uh, that it would take 70 years and they would return. But rather than telling them about the 70 years, right, in verse 10, uh, we actually read this familiar promise in verses 11 through 13. So, so we're going to look at that in a minute. But remember that God is not limited to a place, Jerusalem. And he's not limited today to a people, the, 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 the Jewish nation here. Uh, so wherever we find ourselves, we can trust the Lord, hope in him, uh, serve those around us for God's glory and our good. Now, uh, verse 11 through 13 is actually one of those verses that ends up on a lot of... Uh, well, it's a lot of coffee cups, right? I call it, a, I call it a, a, a mug and a magnet verse, right? It ends up on a coffee cup or a refrigerator magnet. So where it says, um, I know the plans I have for you and uh, hope for, you know, for good and for a future. And so, and I'm, I'm not, I don't have a problem with that, right? If it's great if it's on your, on your mug or on your magnet. Uh, it's just, you have to remember, it's in the context of a difficult time. And that may be the very time when you need to hold firm to this, this anchor of your soul and you need to hold on to this promise. So, so it's okay that it's on a mug or a magnet, but the context will help us understand why. Also, too, uh, you know, this is actually written to the people, not just to individuals, right? Let's put the verse back up, if you don't mind. So if you see the verse back up, it says, uh, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So it's written to the people, the exiles there as well. But it also is worth remembering that it's for all of us, right? Uh, Psalm 34, verse 18 puts it this way very beautifully. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves the crushed in spirit. So this verse is uh, for all of us, but can be particularly meaningful for those who are going through a hard time. Uh, No matter what the circumstances, we have hope and a future as the people of God, as we'll see in these verses. So there are four things that I want you to see today. One, two, three, four in our outline. Four things that we'll walk through today. Uh, Let me just tell you what they are, and then we'll walk through them. We're going to walk through uh, God's sovereign plans. We're going to walk through our central hope. Then one powerful promise And finally, that sacred trust. So number one on our outline is God's sovereign plans. God's sovereign plans. Could you read that out loud with me together? Let's read it. God's sovereign plans. One more time. God's sovereign plans. So God, he's the one writing this letter. Sovereign means he's in control. He rules over all and his plans. Now, what we're going to see later, that God's sovereign plans are also tied up in a person. Hope is a person. Hope has a name, Jesus. Hope is a person, and that person is our anchor. He's our anchor. But let's walk through this verse first. It's Jeremiah 29, verse 11, and here's what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Now let's, let's slow roll through this, right? For it's changed to first person, I, I, right? It's no longer Nebuchadnezzar took them into the Babylonian exile, but now it's I, God is saying. It's a letter from God. For I know I know. Actually, in Hebrew, I know is emphatic. Not those prophets in verse 9 and 10. Uh, not, not anyone else you heard from. I know the plans I have for you. The plans I have 
for you. Now, I told you, it wouldn't be singular, it would be plural. So it's God's people, um, all, you know, the exiles. And if, maybe if you're in the South, you would say, I know the plans I have for y'all, is the way they say it in the South, right? Or I grew up on Long Island, we'd say, for you guys. I know the plan I have for you guys, right? So, for I know the plan I have for you, declares the Lord. So it's a declaration from the Lord. This is true. God's people did not end up in Babylon because God had taken a vacation or got distracted. He wasn't not paying attention, right? The verse is a powerful reminder that God is in control and he's in control over this exile, over this exile. Now the Hebrew people had actually enjoyed the blessings of God in the promised land, right? They had become a nation, defeated their enemies. They had worshiped God, but idolatry and sin kept uh, plaguing them. They kept going back to it. God sent prophets to warn them, kings, righteous kings, even to rule them, some of them. Um, But still God's people kept going back to idolatry and to the idols. So God's people were sent into exile. First, uh, the Northern kingdom called Israel was taken by Assyria and then the Southern kingdom named Judah by the Babylonians. And that's where we are here in this verse is by the Babylonians. So God works in ways we do not always understand. I want you not to miss that. God works in ways we do not always understand. That's why our life is a life of faith, right? It's trusting God. Now, notice the first person being used here. First person, like I, the Lord, I, use God being the subject. I, I am the subject. I am the one who's doing this, God is saying. The Lord said this through Jeremiah, that he, not Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, right, that he sent them into exile. Look at verse four of Jeremiah 29, says this. It says, um, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So God has worked through this exile, this very, very difficult circumstance. But that's not all God says. In verse four, he says that. But in verse 11, he says this, for I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Remember, the I know is emphatic. God knows. Not the false prophets. God knows. God's plans are good because good is what comes from God. Once you miss this, God's plans are good because good is what comes from God. In James 1.17, we actually see that reflected. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So God has plans for these exiles, and yes, God has plans for you, for us, right? For each of us. So I hope you believe that because God does have a plan for you. Now other people got a plan for you. The devil's got a plan for you, but God has a plan for you. And what's fascinating here in the context is God's plan actually is for their hope, for their future. And it included being willing to be used by God in Babylon. Look at Jeremiah 29, seven. We read it a few minutes ago. It says this, Jeremiah 29, seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for it in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So God's plan for them short term actually was for them to focus outside of themselves and their circumstances to care for those who are actually part of the empire that took them into exile and into captivity. Uh, Many, don't miss this, right? He says you're gonna be there 70 years. So many, maybe almost all of the people who heard this letter would die before they went back to Jerusalem. They would not see 
the return to Jerusalem. 70 years, right? So if you're hearing this letter, you're old enough to hear this letter, and they didn't live that long back then, right? So, so, so most of the people hearing this are actually going to die before they get back to Jerusalem. But in the midst of that, God still had a plan. And God's plan called them to be about more than themselves while they were in the exile. So you're not an afterthought to God. Um, God has a plan. Your circumstances didn't surprise God. He's not caught off guard by them. I mean, remember this book, Jeremiah, is such a great book. It actually begins in Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. Uh, it begins in verse one, but in verse five, it says this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So God knows you before you're even born. God's got a plan for you. He's sovereign plan through your whole life. So it's not a blanket promise for God to rearrange the universe for your benefit, right? It's, it's to give you what you want, like the law of attraction. You've seen a lot of that on the, on the interwebs, right? So we're going to, God's going to, you know, somehow force is going to rearrange the universe because we're going to attract, no, 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 no. It's the consistent message of God's grace and hope seen throughout the Bible. He, hope is a person, that person is our anchor, and that anchor holds sure. So again, God's immediate plan here for his people involved working and praying for the good of the people of Babylon while God was chastising them and bringing about change in them. They came back a different people from the exile. God's immediate plan for the church today involves showing and sharing Jesus to those enslaved by sin all around us, the empire of sin all around us. We do that by caring for the hurting. I think about High Point Cares. We're showing and sharing the love of Jesus and ultimately sharing the good news of the gospel. His ultimate plan is to bring us to a place of eternal restoration. So it begins with number one, God's sovereign plans. But remember, we're coming to that hope is a person, and that person is our anchor. Number two on our outline, number one was God's sovereign plans. Number two is our central hope, our central hope. There's a hope that holds us together, that gives us the, the faith, the, 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 the desire to hold on, this central hope. And Jeremiah 29 Verse 11 speaks that from the Old Testament. We'll talk about that in just a minute. It says, I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare. Now, when we see plans for welfare, it, it's actually a modern use of the word that we think of welfare as government assistance. That's uh, actually nobody else in the world uses the word the same way that Americans do. So if you're from another country, you're not even sure what I'm talking about here. But in modern uh, words, when someone's uh, plans for welfare, it means that they're on government assistance. As, as a child, I was raised by a single mom. We, had gov- we received government assistance some of the most difficult times. But the word welfare here is actually shalom. Uh, maybe you've heard that word before. So shalom, it's actually a hard word to translate with one English word. Uh, whole books have been written on God's shalom. I teach a graduate level course on shalom and grace over at Wheaton, Wheaton College. Um, so shalom is this place of flourishing, of thriving, of, of goodness, of, of God's grace at work, of the way the world's supposed to be. And so some translations say for your good, some say for your welfare, but it's a powerful word for your shalom. For, it says for your welfare and not for evil. To give you a future, love that. We have a future, right? We have a future. Now, it might be hard in this world right now, but we have a future in God's glorious presence. There's that. But also a future right here. God's working through our circumstance. A future and a hope. Now, remember, hope we're going to see as a person. That person is our anchor, but he gives us a hope. So they received the news that they would not soon be returning to Jerusalem and that they need to settle down for decades. Um, No doubt that was a disappointment to them. But God quickly reminded them that his plans were for their welfare and he would give them a hope. God's plans are never for evil. 
Um, they're always for ultimately for the good, and they point to hope. It could be tra- this could be translated to an end and a future. God's going to bring us to an end and a future. God works with the end in mind. We can only see the immediate. We can only see the immediate. So um, when you looked at Al at the beginning, do that video, right? So Al talked about how he looked back over his life. Now he's a senior citizen. Now here's the thing. I've known Al for over 20 years. Um, and so I've seen how God has worked in and through him, difficult times and good times, right? So, so, so I, that, was, that was particularly meaningful for me that, that yes, as he's looking back as a senior citizen, God has worked through his life powerfully. And my guess is for a lot of you, you can look back across your life and you can look back over your life and say, you know, it was hard, but God was working through that. So even here, as God was promising them uh, their hope, the hope of their own welfare, he was saying them to work for the good of others too, right? To the shalom. So, so hope is, in the scripture, is not something that's just longed for that doesn't come into a reality that may or may not come to pass. Like, well, I, you know, I, I hope I win the lottery or I, I hope I pass this test that I didn't study for, right? So hope is confidence in God that God will keep his word. Now, here's where it gets particularly beautiful for us. So this, this book of Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. So there's two Testaments, the Old and New. Um, ones we might call the Hebrew Scriptures, and then, uh, then we have the New Testament. So the Old Testament is written before the coming of Jesus, who is our hope. So everything and everybody in the Old Testament is looking toward the coming of Christ. And sets are looking towards the Gospels, if we want to think of it like the Bible. So everything in the Old Testament is looking towards the Gospel, the full fulfillment of our hope. They've been hoping and waiting for the Messiah to come. So whenever they say they put their hope on God, that hope includes the Messiah who will set all things right and bring to shalom all things. So we see that here, right? So, and then we're in the New Testament though. So we're looking back to our hope has come. Our hope has a name. Our hope is Jesus. He's the anchor, right? He's the anchor of our lives. So in the Old Testament, they would say things like Psalm 33, 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear on those who hope is in his steadfast love. So they were hoping, rightfully so, in his steadfast love. Then God has always been a God of love, but also looking for the coming of the Messiah. And in Hebrews 11, we actually see that's in the New Testament, right? So that's after Jesus has come. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We still have hope, but hope is a person. That person is our anchor. Hope has a name, that's Jesus. Now, in a sense, if you're going through a real difficult storm right now in your life, um, you're still leaning on that hope. But that hope is clearly in the Messiah who's come, but ultimately who will come back and set all things right. Titus 2.13 puts it this way. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so he's going to come back and right now, right, you might be walking through a difficult time. So that's why I wanted this verse not just to be, oh, God's got a plan for you, a hope and a future, but this is the middle of the exile, right at the beginning of the exile, when their people have been, their leaders have been killed, they've been shipped off to a foreign land, they're unsure about the hope, they're hoping to go back, but now they're not going to be, and in the midst of all this, they have hope. And I want to say to you, millennia later, that in the midst of all your difficulty, the hard time you may be going through right now, that hope has come, hope's a person. Jesus has come. He's the blessed hope. He's the living hope. And you can trust him. He is a sure and steady anchor in the midst of difficult times. I was, uh, before we came here, I, we, Donna and I and our kids lived in Nashville, Tennessee. That's where I learned the word y'all. I'm, I'm fixing to learn how to speak. And then I ended up back in the 
in the north. Um, but we, had a, we bought a boat. Well, actually, my, my dad, I shouldn't say we bought a boat. I think my dad gave us his old boat. So, um, so we, um, I might have given him a couple bucks for it, whatever. So we get, up to, uh, we get up to Nashville with the boat, and there's a lake near us. And, we, and I don't know anything about boating. You know, I grew up on Long Island outside of New York City, and it wasn't like we were going to the shore to go boating. Um, so we had this old boat, and we put it in the water. And I learned very quickly just how important the anchor was to all this stuff. Because Tennessee, I mean, listen, I, I, I know it's cold. I know it's in the 20s today, and it shouldn't be in the 20s in late March. I know that. But Tennessee, like, storms just appear. And we don't have storms just appear. So we'd be out on this lake. It's old Hickory Lake with our little boat. And, um, and I had to learn how to use an anchor. And, and when the storms came, you need to get off that lake and go find a little, a little you know, nook and cranny to hide yourself. And if you couldn't, because the lake was pretty wide at points, You'd get close again and throw down that anchor to hold on. And, uh, and I was fascinated by the anchors because I'd, I'd never seen an anchor before. And it wasn't that big. But the anchors are powerful things. And it was, I mean, it was obviously big enough for our boat. It was actually oversized for the little boat that we had. So we, we'd, uh, and my anchor never failed me, right? So we, I threw that anchor in the water and it did, you don't see it. It just goes underneath. All you see is the rope. And then when, and sometimes the rope's loose. When the wind comes, the rope's not loose anymore. So you're holding on and your boat's like whoosh and whoosh. And it's just, all you see is that anchor. And you're like, you're hoping that anchor holds. Now that anchor never failed me. Now the anchor, there were two failures, but they weren't the anchor's fault. In one case, I threw the anchor in and forgot to tie it to the boat. So that anchor anchor is gone forever. And I wasn't really good at boating. I will tell you, the, the best day in boating is actually when you sell your boat. And that was the best day for us. And let me just tell you a little piece of advice. Uh, the best thing to have is a friend with a boat, not a boat. You want a friend with a boat. Because this thing was always breaking anyway. So one day I threw in the anchor and it's like, oh, no, there goes the anchor and it's gone. So we're like, okay, no anchor now. And the other time was I couldn't get the anchor out. So I had to cut the rope uh, and actually leave the anchor there at the bottom of the lake. So to this day, there's an anchor there with my name on it because we had the cut. So the anchor never fails, but anchors could fail, but our anchor never failed. Anchors are designed for the strength. And that's why verses like Hebrews 6.19 are so powerful. Look at what it says. We have this as a sure and steadfast. Don't miss those. Sure, steadfast. Steadfast and sure. Anchor of the soul. That's you. We have this. This is Jesus, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope. Don't miss that. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What's that? So the temple was, um, was built, and two millennia ago, the temple was standing, and, and there'd, be a, there'd be a curtain in front of it, and behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, where God would dwell in all of his power that you couldn't go in. There were special circumstances, but if you went in, man, it would be bad for you. you you're, if you went in in your own holiness, it would be bad for you. So, but then Jesus dies on the cross for our sin and in our place. We actually know that the, the, the veil, the curtain is ripped and, and, and God has opened this up that God through Jesus has now allowed us to, by grace and through faith, receive, come into the presence of God, be forgiven, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that anchor is now inside the veil. That anchor is Christ. And here it is, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope, a hope, because hope has a name. Hope is a person, and that person is our anchor, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, that anchor of the soul. So in Jeremiah, they had a hope 
They had a hope in God, and rightfully so, that he loved his people then. He loves his people now. He was going to walk them through the difficult time, and he did, and we see his promises fulfilled. But we understand that that hope more fully because Jesus has come, and that anchor holds behind the veil. So the anchor is actually a pretty powerful symbol, right? So I actually debated uh, finding an anchor, and I actually looked. Couldn't, like, bring an anchor out, and then I said, you know what? We don't need to bring an anchor out because that would get people thinking about the anchor the whole time. And, I, and the anchor is actually Christ. I want you to think about Jesus the whole time. Um, in the first centuries of the church, the anchor became a Christian symbol uh, found in uh, Roman catacombs. In three weeks, I'm taking a group of students over to Rome to go into the catacombs and we'll see the tombs of Christians. And in an era of persecution, they actually would look to the anchor as a reminder that they were moored to Christ. And that's what an anchor does. I remember that big storm came up just suddenly. We were just holding on and, and you could see the, as the rope was tight as it could be and the anchor was holding and we were like, as long as an anchor holds, we're going to be okay. The storm passed. Well, 2,000 years ago when they were being persecuted, they knew that anchor would hold. This is actually a picture from a Roman catacomb which displays two Christians as little fish anchored to the cross. You see it, right? Two Christians anchored to the cross, right? This actually, uh, uh, this actually uh, on, the, on the grave of a Christian named Atomatus. He's in Rome, and the inscription is, has the anchor, right? The cross, the hope that's there. Let's face it. Um, if you haven't been through a difficult time in your life, I'd be surprised. But for a lot of us, last couple of years have been some of the hardest times. Uh, maybe, maybe it was five years ago for you. Maybe it's three days ago for you. But in the midst of those difficult times, what I want you to hear is this verse is not some pie in the sky verse on a mug or a magnet. This verse is written to a people whose leaders were killed, who were shipped off involuntarily to another place, forced to live in a city where they didn't speak the language. And in the midst of this, they knew they had a hope and a future. And you can know that you have a hope and a future through Christ. Hope is a person. That person is our anchor. So if this verse isn't true everywhere, it's not true anywhere. So it's true in Ukraine today. This verse is true. We know Christians who in Ukraine are facing some of the worst circumstances of their lives and they're clinging to the anchor that is Jesus. And so can you. Romans 8 verse 31 says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We can have a hope and a future. We can trust in him. But this verse is about when things get hard and things can get hard for us. The diagnosis comes back and the cancer has returned. We go to work on a typical day and we get a call into HR because they're downsizing and our job's been eliminated. Our child's struggling with an addiction. Our marriage is in trouble. Our finances are a mess. How can God work in these things when we cling to him as our hope? Matter of fact, maybe, maybe, maybe this verse could remind us of one thing, now that you know more of the background, that when difficult times come, it's kind of normal and natural to immediately question God's goodness and his plan. Maybe instead of questioning God's goodness and his plan, we could be curious and say, God, what are you teaching me? Are you calling me to deeper prayer? Are you calling me to trust in you? Are you taking something out of my life? He was taking the idolatry out of the people of Israel. And what is it and how can we cling to it? Because he is our sure anchor. So number one, God's sovereign plans. Number two, our central hope. Number three, 
One powerful promise. Now we're actually off of the life verse, but a little more context in verse 12 says this, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. God's people would be in exile for many years, but they were not exiled from God's presence. Whatever we face, God is faithful to hear our prayers. Jesus himself says it this way in Matthew chapter seven, verses seven and following, ask and it'll be given, seek, you'll find, knock and it'll be opened. If you ask, you receive. The one who seeks, finds. Right? It goes over and over again. The promise is that, or it says this, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, compared to the goodness of God, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who's in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? I love the beauty of this verse. So God is calling us to come to him, right? To come to him. And, and, they, and he actually says, then you will call upon me. And actually the then here is actually referring to decades. So it's not that God's absent, but this is the place that God's gonna finally answer the prayer. Then you will call to me. So there's some things that gotta happen first. And they gotta get this idolatry out of them. They gotta get this desire to run after foreign gods after them. Then you will call to me. And so in the midst of your difficulty, God may have some things he's doing and then you will call to him and you will see God's answer. And in the midst of this, we still have hope and a future. See, it's hard to conceive of Isaiah in the Old Testament saying, here I am, Lord, send me, unless he first said, I'm a man of unclean lips, which he says just before that. Or we don't see King David proclaiming he's going to teach sinners God's ways in Psalm 51, verse 13, without him first confessing his own sin in Psalm 51, 1. Or Peter, who denied Jesus, preaches at Pentecost powerfully after every gospel account records that he wept bitterly for what he had done. In all those cases, there was something God was doing. And it might be the case for us. Now, this is not a message on all the ways that bad things happen and why they happen. Sometimes they happen because the world's just broken and fallen. Sometimes they happen because of evil people. But sometimes they happen because of our own sin, as it was here with them. In every case, we'll call upon God for help and acknowledge he is our only hope. Number four, and finally, right? God is sovereign. God's sovereign plans, our central hope, one powerful promise. Number four, that sacred trust. Here's, it is, right? You can take this to the bank. This is sure. This is an anchor that holds. It says this in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God's not playing hide and seek here, sisters and brothers. He's there. The anchor holds. The storm may be all around you, but you're holding on to that. You may not even see where the anchor is, but that's God, and he never lets go. Seek me and find me is a beautiful language. Now, nobody enjoys the pain of going through the event, but as you look back at it, wasn't your faith strengthened in all the difficulties you've had in the past? And if that's the case, could it not be that that's what he's doing and moving through today? Now, we can pray and say, God, help us. And we can look to verses like John six thirty seven that we can rely on him. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So if you're in the midst of a difficult time, you can say to the Lord, Lord, I come to you today. This is our hope. We seek the Lord with all our hearts. We will find him. So if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I want to invite you to trust and follow him, to receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus who's kind of been walking away, a prodigal right now, you can return to him now. He's still there. Hope is a person. That person is our anchor. 
And if you're in the midst of a difficult time, you can seek the Lord in the midst of that difficult time and find faith and hope in God. God has promised us a hope and a future. I love this verse. But we look back from it, not from the perspective of the Old Testament prophets, but from the New Testament, and Jesus has come. Hope is a person. That person is our anchor, and that anchor holds within the veil. Now, by now, you're going to guess we're going to sing that song in just a moment that you might be familiar with, and rightfully so. But I wanted, before we do that, I'm going to ask the, in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and while I'm praying, the folks who are going to set up communion are going to come, and Pastor Craig's going to come, and, and uh, the worship team's going to come, and because I, I want us to, I want to read this verse over you and for let you to dwell in it for just a moment before we partake in the Lord's Supper. Because we're going to partake in the Eucharist today, the Lord's Supper, and in doing so, we're going to understand why we have this blessed hope. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sin and in our place. He shed his blood, his body was broken, and we will partake together of the remembrance of that this day. Because hope is a person. That person is our anchor. That anchor holds within the veil. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you today in the quietness of this moment at the end of our service, focusing our hearts on the hope that is found in Christ. They looked forward to the coming of the Messiah in Jeremiah and they trusted you in the midst of that moment. And millennia later, we can hear these words and they are still true. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, I want to ask you to hear the words of this promise, this faithful truth. It's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And I want you to apply it to you because it does apply to you. It says, for I know, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Father, in the quietness of this moment, may you remind us, even as we're about to partake in the Lord's Supper, that this hope has a name. This name is Jesus. His death on the cross for our sin and in our place changes everything. You give us a future and a hope. We know that you know the plans you have for us. We don't always know. We're just holding on sometimes in the storm, knowing that the anchor holds knowing that in the storm, the anchor's not our worry. Because with certainty, hope is a person, that person is our anchor, hope has a name, that name is Jesus. You give us a future and a hope. Lord, in the midst of our difficulty, now or to come, in the midst of this moment, we cling to you and believe the hope for a blessed future. As we partake in the Lord's Supper, Lord, we come before you to worship you, to give you glory, and to remember what you have done for us. And that anchor holds within the veil. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen.